Nicole, you must think I'm stupid. Raleigh, why would you say that? Of course I don't think you're stupid. Oh, uh, yeah, you do. You want to know how I know? It's because we've been talking about climate change for years, and you never once told me the truth that it's all China's fault. Oh. Honestly, I didn't think you were stupid before, but now I'm starting to wonder. Okay, Raleigh, have you heard this argument that's like, we don't need to do anything about climate change because China emits way more than we do, so whatever we do isn't going to matter? Yes, I have heard this one, Nicole, and it's it's sort of like uh, we can do all the good work in the world on climate change, but in the face of China, nothing we do is, is, is useful. Yeah, China emits a third of all of the world's CO2, so whatever we do is going to be drops in a bucket, it's not going to matter, and we are ruining our quality of life yeah. for no reason reason. Yeah, Nicole, America is the leader of the world, okay? Mm-hmm. We lead on every single thing. What we do, other countries follow, except for climate policy. Yeah, there's nothing we can do. It's simply out of our hands. Yes. And I wanted to give an example of what this argument looks like. So this is Nikki Haley at this year's first Republican presidential debate. Nikki Haley by virtue of her cohort, the the most rational person on this stage. It truly, the reason that I picked her clip is because this is the most sane, logical version of this argument. I There was a bunch of other media that was talking about China, and it veered so far into conspiracy theories that I was like, I'm just going to direct people to the 15 Minute Cities episode. Yeah. It gets this, racist fast. Super like you fast. You can't really like, China's doing it. And like, uh, who? Uh, the, the Ch- these Chinese people are doing it's, it. It's like, okay, buddy. Yeah. Ew. And so the the this is the version of the argument that is the the most sensical, least racist version <laughs> That I could find. And I was like, let's talk about the steel man version of this argument. And I think that's this version. First, the entire audience of the Republican presidential debate gives a big round of applause to Margaret Thatcher. But after that, she starts talking about China. Governor Haley, would you like to respond? Are you bought and paid for? What I would like to say is the fact that I think this is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. Girl power. clean water. We want to see that taken care of, but there's a right way to do it. And the right way to do it is, first of all, yes, is climate change real? Yes, it is. But if you want to go and really change the environment, then we need to start telling China and India that they have to lower their emissions. That's where our problem is. And these green subsidies that Biden has put in, all he's done is help China because he doesn't understand all these electric vehicles that he's done, what that does. Half of the batteries for electric vehicles are made in China. And so that's not helping the environment. You're putting money in China's pocket. And Biden did that. So first of all, I think we need to acknowledge the truth, which is these subsidies are not working. We also need to take on the international world and say, okay, India and China, you've got to stop polluting. And that's when we'll start to deal with Senator Scott, are you bought and paid for? So her her whole thing here is we're we're not going to start addressing climate change until China addresses their emissions problem. And this made me think of this thing that you said in a previous episode, which is 
these people are always talking about America's a leader. America's right. a leader. So are we going to be a leader or are we going to be a fucking follower? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a funny version of this. It's like America has been at a bar for 150 years and has just been ringing up drinks on a tab for mm -hmm. all that time, never paying for it, just constantly putting drink after drink on this bar tab. And we are alcoholics okay we're, <laughs> we're cranking through those g and t's like uh like we're we're gonna get shipped out to war tomorrow um a war that we declared by the way um you know we're, we're just like we're, we're piling up this giant tab historically and then the moment china and india walk in and they're like shots for everybody in the bar we're like whoa 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 buddy who's yeah. gonna pay for those shots you know <laughs> yeah. you 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 gotta you gotta figure out you gotta pay your tab on those shots and it's like we have 150 years of a tab america is by far the largest net emitter mm -hmm. and suddenly it's like fucking china's fault because they're they they're starting to do what we've already done yeah and even i mean yes her claims about emissions are suspect because of our net emissions over time but even before then even if everything she says is a hundred percent true and not disingenuous at all it shouldn't matter how much China is emitting for us to work on emitting less. Totally. And there's this guy, James Kurz, who wrote an op-ed in Canada's National Observer newspaper. Uh, and I bring up Canada because he says Canada in it. So I don't want anybody to be confused. But he wrote a piece that I really liked when I was researching this. And, and there's one line in particular that I think is useful in thinking about China and, and its emissions versus ours. Um, he said... Countries with the same emissions as Canada or less represent about 30% of global CO2 discharge. Should they all follow the same line of argument and delay action until China has, quote, sufficiently acted, which is a conveniently unquantifiable yardstick? Like, when has China acted enough? Per Nikki Haley, per any of these people, when will China have done enough that we can finally start addressing our emissions? Yeah. What's the mark? What's the percentage emissions reduced? Also, like... Part of their whole shtick is like they're finally on board with EVs now, you know, like it, it, because it's part of the big vehicle manufacturers desires that will like, oh, we'll make a lot of EVs. We'll make a ton of money in America. Like Republicans are getting on board with this concept, which mm -hmm. was deeply flawed. Check out our first episode. But like <laughs> second episode. Know, sorry. Second episode. Check out our first episode and then be like, this isn't what he was talking about. And then check out the <laughs> second episode. And you be like, oh, now I get it. Anyway, the idea that like electric vehicles are environmentally sound right like mm -hmm. this is sort of creeping into the republican party narrative finally and like too late and also wrong but like finally uh and then immediately she's like also china's making all the batteries for electric vehicles like which is bad because america isn't making those and our subsidies are going to china and it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, are you mad at China for not decarbonizing or are you mad at China for like supplying electric vehicles, which is part of the decarbonization move? I mean, it's all part of creating like a bad guy for us to get mad at who isn't us. And I think the important thing to remember is that this took place on stage at the Republican National Debate. This is mm. not like a policy conversation with China. This is meant for average voters at home to watch. So we have to think about like, what is Nikki Haley's purpose in saying this on stage? You know, she's not having a conversation with Xi Jinping right now. She's talking to your average American voter. And uh, James Kerr's in that same op-ed had a really, I think, informative and helpful way of thinking about it. 
he wrote that the average Canadian has no influence on Chinese politics and therefore saying what about China does not provide for any obvious course of action. Getting people to question why we should do anything when, quote, everything depends on China is a line of argument employed to delay meaningful climate action and to sow the seeds of doubt in the Canadian population that climate mitigation legislation is useful. Mm. The main thing that Nikki Haley is doing and that all of these people are doing when they blame China is saying that you don't need to worry about us enacting meaningful climate legislation because if we did, it wouldn't matter. So we're not going to do it. So don't worry about it because China, because it wouldn't matter if we did it. It's, it is designed to get people to think that climate legislation doesn't matter and to stop asking for it. Oh yeah. I guess it's, it's also like Nikki Haley obviously sees the link between an American policy and a response by Chinese manufacturing. So for instance, we're doing more EVs. China is manufacturing more batteries. So to turn around and say that climate policy isn't going to happen unless China changes while knowing that like one way to influence China is to change our own policies is a weird argument to make. It's super weird. And this is actually a good setup for us to talk about like the merits of, of the argument that she's making. I just wanted to start the podcast by saying like, FYI, she's using this as a distraction. Gotcha. There is no reason for us to not act on climate change, no matter what China is doing. Sure. Um, yeah. So, like, let's make sure that when these politicians say stuff like this, that we're thinking about what is the audience, why do they want them to hear it, and how is it going to delay or distract us from climate action? And and in this particular case, it's by saying that it doesn't matter because of China. Yeah, and I guess like the most kind interpretation of Nikki Haley's statement is that it's intended to show her Republican base that she can be a real dick to other countries, too. She's trying to prove to the Republican base that Donald Trump does not have a monopoly on being an ignoramus in front of other people. She, too, can be a tactless dipshit. She, too, can blindly make dumb policy claims that have no grounding in truth. Yeah, just she's, like she's going to hold China accountable because it's their fault. And why should Americans have to take the blame for something that China did? She's going to make Mexico pay for the wall. <laughs> so let's take a look at the veracity of her claims. You know, what what are their merits? Is she right? Uh, and, and the bottom line is China does emit a lot. So they she's em- right. So she's exactly right. <laughs> Period. End of podcast. Awesome. Um, they, they emit a lot. They emit more than anybody else in the world. That is a true fact. I am not disputing that or saying that China's doing like a great job with emissions because they're not. So per the Emissions Data for Global Atmospheric Research, or EDGAR, which is like Europe's climate tracking agency, China's responsible for about 33% of global emissions as of 2021, which is their most updated year of data, uh, which is the most in the world. That is the most in the world. uh, These people are not wrong about that. China does emit more than anybody by a fairly significant margin. However, that's 33%. So if freaking Thanos snapped... And wiped China out of existence. Not not his, like, I'm going to kill half the people at random. He's, like, going to do a specific snap to yeah, get if, all if, of China. If, yes. In the scenario, would be... Thanos has been listening to Nikki Haley, and he's like, okay, then I know how to solve this. That's my Thanos. That's uh, pretty good. I know how to solve this problem. Uh, and he snaps and then eliminates China. That means there's still 67% of the emissions in the world mm. left, which we have to do something about. And maybe even more. Because 
of the way China is, sorry, is this your point? It's my very next point, but I want Why you to say, say it because we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same page, okay, so I want cool. you to say it. Great, yeah. So I think um, you'd have 67%, but actually way more because a lot of China's emissions are based on manufacturing that they do internationally. Exactly. That is, I want to point to you in the outline that I'm holding oh, that shit. that is my exact Comic very Sans. next point. <laughs> Don't fact, talk about that on the pod. Oh, nice. In fact, we'd have even more because the reason that China's emissions are so high is that it's the world's manufacturer. Wow, that's really close to what I said. I know. Nice. We're on the same page. Nice. So when we take exported goods out of the picture, China's emissions drop by 14%, while the United States footprint rises 7.7%. Right. And I got this figure from a study from the University of Michigan, which was from 2012, which is long enough ago that I think that number's probably changed, but that was the most updated study that I could find. Mm. It didn't specify if that is a full accounting of all of the emissions. So it, it accounts for stuff like not only the manufacture of products and things like keeping the lights on in the factory. I don't think it accounts for things like transporting workers to the factories. I don't know if it accounts for like if the materials for these products are mined elsewhere in the world and then shipped to China. I don't know if those emissions are included. Yeah, I so I so think 14.6 is a pretty conservative estimate mm. of of how much the emissions in China itself would change. Yeah, so so I guess this status saying that like China's manufacturing for international sale all told the emissions are only 14% of their national emissions. That feels so low to me. I don't know. That's that's pretty surprising. It does for me too, but again, I don't I don't know exactly where all of those emissions come mm-hmm. from. Those mm-hmm. might just be literally the emissions in their factories. Gotcha. So um, a conservative reading of that is that it's like could be as low as 14%. Yes. Yes. And so there are probably people who are saying like, that's only 14% of emissions. What about the other 86%? That seems like China is still the problem. But the thing is, our per capita emissions are way different. If all things were equal, it would make sense for China to emit way more than us because they have four times as many people as we do. Mm. And as it stands, they're only emitting about two and a half times as much CO2 as we are, which means that proportionally, they're emitting less CO2 per person. Um, According to the Rhodium Group, China emits about 10.1 tons of CO2 per capita, and the U.S. is 17.6, and that's every year. So we in America are emitting much more given the size of our population. Now, 10.1 from China is still a little bit above the world average, so you know they can definitely get it down, but we are contributing much more for every American than they are for every Chinese person. Yeah. So these are like very mainstream American politicians saying this. You know, Nikki Haley was on the Republican debate stage. Um, Shortly thereafter, Vivek Ramaswamy was on Hannity and he just in a little one. I didn't pull it because it's just it's so short but it's a little one sentence blurb where he's like i'm going to be hard on other countries china's responsible for climate change and and it has become this little shorthand for Mm. no no action on climate change because of china ah it's so funny that in a in less than a year it went from there's no such thing as climate change to china is responsible for climate change you know it's like (laughs) there was at no point do we accept any responsibility for a thing we are largely responsible for it's an amazing little judo move yeah and also, like, I think Nikki Haley and a lot of these these uh, sort of right-wing hacks keep on tossing India in there as well. They mm-hmm. say, like, China and India are doing all these emissions. And India's 
per capita carbon footprint is even lower, right? Yeah. I think when they talk about India, a lot of what they're talking about is like there's so many people there without electricity. They're all going to come online soon and the emissions are going to go way up. <laughs> it's, it's predictive. It's perspective yeah. <laughs> emissions. That is fucked. It's like, watch out for India because they're not there now. And obviously the problem is us. But India could possibly someday be a big problem. And we got to stop them before we <laughs> even consider looking inward for even one second. <laughs> Yes. Um, And then the most significant thing is what you brought up at the top of the episode, which is that the U.S. has emitted way more over time. So, Raleigh, I have for you a chart from CarbonBrief.org entitled The Countries with the Largest Cumulative Emissions, 1850 to 2021. Can you describe what you're seeing real quick? All right. Okay. so it's a chart. Uh, Basically, it has the United States at the very top with pretty close to double the cumulative emissions of any other country. Um, China is second, and it's about you know, maybe like half or two-thirds. And then uh, Russia is third with maybe three-quarters to two-thirds of China. And then every other country just falls off a cliff, and it is just like Brazil, Indonesia, Germany. It's like much, much lower. So the United States is number one with a bullet. We're on top. This might as well be like gun ownership because <laughs> um, it's a lot more than any other country. And honestly, makes you proud to be an American. Certainly makes me proud. Uh, First team, all conference emissions. carbon emissions. Yeah. Uh, and and to give you the exact figures in case Raleigh's description did not paint enough of a picture in your head, since 1850, the United States will have emitted 20.3% of the global total, and the next closest is China with 11.4%. So we've emitted close to double what the next most emitting country has emitted. Yeah, yeah, they might be accelerating pretty fast, but like, how do you say that China is the problem when you take one look at this graph? Yeah, so so just to really hammer it home, our net emissions over the course of history are higher, right. and our current per capita emissions are still higher. So, I mean, t- to use your bar metaphor from the beginning, China's buying everybody a round of shots. The United States is still buying lots of rounds of shots. We just have fewer friends. Right. We're not <laughs> buying it for everybody right now. Yeah. It's just We're buying for more expensive liquor. Anyone for in a cardigan friends. and a Patagonia vest gets a <laughs> shot of Malibu. You're wearing both a cardigan and a Patagonia vest. That's right. It's cold in here. <laughs> um, yeah. So the United States has emitted more overall. So it is incumbent on us to emit much, much less because we are absolutely more of the problem historically and per capita currently. If you buy into the lamestream media, then yeah, (laughs) I guess. It's America saying that China is fully responsible for emissions is like the Kardashians looking at TikTok stars and being like, you're really vapid and shallow. Yeah. And it's this, like, no, you started it. <laughs> like, this you is did very it. tacky of you guys. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. I mean, it's. I think a real slam dunk here is that when people like Nikki Haley are like, China is the problem. They are accidentally admitting to the problem. They're like, climate change is happening and the problem is carbon dioxide emissions. And China, it's like, but but we got them, right? Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. Like, (laughs) okay, so you believe in climate change and you believe carbon dioxide emissions are causing climate change. And you think it's a problem. And you think it's a problem. Yeah, like, like that right there, that concept is like, okay, so if you actually believe that, 
then your next sentence that's like, and China is the problem. Sure, sure, China is contributing to the problem, but so is America. And mm-hmm. like they- again, we're number two. Yeah, I mean, like, but by, 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 like in terms of total emission, like, like historically, we're number one, and right. China's number two. But if right. you talk about emissions last year, China's number one, America's number two. Right. It's like by by every metric, America is number one, except for one metric, and in that metric, we're number two. We have all gold medals and one silver, and suddenly it's like the new gold medal. It's like doesn't it doesn't track. Now, Raleigh, that's not technically accurate. Oh, baby! First of all, ring the technical accuracy bell. Okay, thank you. We got to we really got to fix that bell. Uh second of all, I love being technically accurate and if if I'm not going to be it, I want it to be you. Well, I'm I'm bringing this up because I don't want anybody listening at home to be like, eh, they said a wrong thing and so I'm just counting their whole argument." Um because while America is far far and away the number one net emitter over time Hell and yeah. China is now as of the year of our Lord 2023 and a few years in the past also, uh higher than us yearly and we have super high per capita emissions the highest per capita emissions presently are from like small oil producing countries where the population is fairly low but the emissions associated with oil drilling are high gotcha uh so like countries largely in the middle east saudi arabia those kinds of places their Mm -hmm. their per capita emissions are quite high Ooh, i can feel the technical accuracy sinking into my brain thank you nicole (laughs) so in terms of per capita emissions america is over china Mm -hmm. but there are a couple of outlier countries that have a higher per capita emission because of the fact that they are small countries and they have an outsized production, and so they get attributed that production, and so their per capita is correct. High. Even if you're, you know, a, a small shepherd, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> then you still have a high per capita emission by virtue of the fact that you live in Kuwait or gotcha. whatever. It's like you could be the coolest kid in Wyoming and still a dork. Raleigh, Wyoming is where cowboys are, and cowboys are cool. You're being taken in by the logo of the University of Wyoming. <laughs> I think it's possible that there are some cowboys in Wyoming, but certainly there got to be more cowboys in other states. Texas, for instance. Texas cowboys feel like in King of the Hill when when Thatherton uh, stole that client from Boston because the Boston guy wanted to do a bunch of Texas stuff. Wow, I don't remember this episode at all. It's one of my favorite episodes. Thatherton? Thatherton. Oh, wow. All right. (laughs) We'll talk about it in our King of the Hill sidecast. Also, carbon emissions raise temperatures globally, and they're bad, and we have to stop them. But fossil fuel emissions are also bad locally. And I don't know about that, Nicole. No, it's for sure bad. It's I for grew sure- up pretty close to a uh, gas facility, and I have pretty good asthma. <laughs> well, if you want to have the strongest asthma in the world, nice. then being near a fossil fuel facility is like a great way of doing it. Number one in asthma, baby. Number one, baby. I have two collapsed lungs. <laughs> Wow, two for two. Great job. Um, fossil fuels produce things like VOCs. They produce uh, PM two point five. What is a VOC? Uh, VOCs are volatile, volatile organic, organic compound. compound. Yes. Hell yes! Come on, baby. <laughs> um, and PM two point five pollution is sort of the really insidious pollution that like gets into your lungs, has a lot of like bad health effects. When you get like an air quality warning, that's about. PM 2.5 emissions. It's very bad for you health-wise. And do you know how I know that getting rid of fossil fuels will improve our air quality and local health outcomes? Uh, Because you did it in your house and it worked good? Because China did it. 
What? Yes, China did all of that. China done did it. <laughs> they when done did, did they it. Do, when did they uh, done do over it? Over the course of the past couple of decades. So so famously, um, major cities in China had really bad air quality. You would see pictures of like Beijing or Shanghai and you like couldn't even see the buildings because there was so much air pollution. Do you remember when Canadian wildfire smoke blew into New York City and you like couldn't see Manhattan from Brooklyn? Yeah, it was yellow like Blade Runner. It was horrible. That was sort of like a baseline condition in some Chinese cities, you know, depending on weather patterns and stuff. It was really, really bad. Um, It was arguably the major issue that Xi Jinping faced when he came to power in 2013. It was like a really bad problem in China. Like if you went outside, that was a pretty significant health risk, particularly Mm. for at-risk groups. It's Mm. it's like you didn't want to do it. Um, And it was also the kind of problem where like rich elites couldn't insulate themselves from it because a lot of pollution happens sort of uh, where you can't see it. You know, Uh, disadvantaged communities uh, who don't have the power to like stand up against it are the ones most impacted. But unless you never go outside and have a million air purifiers on, rich people got to breathe. You know, they're they're going to breathe that air. And so it, it became a big problem across like all levels of society in China. And so Mm. they really, really needed to fix it. Um, And then per CNN in 2021, quote, Beijing only recorded 10 days of heavy air pollution last year, a drop of nearly 80% since 2015. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. It's it's way, way lower. Um, It's still, Beijing's air quality is still generally you know, several orders of magnitude worse than a, an American city. It's still mm. not great, but it's way better than it used to be. And that's largely because they put restrictions on car use in major cities, as well as moving coal burning power plants away from cities and burning coal. I hate to use the word clean because clean coal is like not a thing, but the technology's gotten better so that it's not quite as disgusting Got it. as it used to be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not clean, but better than it used to be. Um, okay, so how does this relate to America and the bigger argument that I'm making? It doesn't. <laughs> it does. Oh, it might nice. shock you to learn that it does. I was going to say, why would you put this in if it doesn't <laughs> relate? That's perfect. So uh, in 2022, researchers at the University of Wisconsin-Madison estimated that over 50,000 premature deaths each year in the United States are due to fine particulate matter pollution from burning fossil fuels. Wow, that is so many deaths. It's in- really annual. high. Annually. It's wow. really a- high. A full stadium full of people yes, every and that, year. Yep, and that's due to the VOCs and, and PM 2.5 pollution. That's the fine particulate matter. That That is aggravating existing conditions. It's making asthma worse. It's If you're elderly and already mm. have things like heart and lung problems, it's making those conditions worse. Um, so it's really bad, and it's particularly bad in disadvantaged communities who are more proximate to fossil fuel burning plants and have more like gas-guzzling vehicles that are older generally. These are like documented health impacts. Um, it must be so hard, like that, as as a creature with a lizard brain, personally, it's so hard for me to make that mental link. Like, oh, multiple years of burning, you know, fossil fuels is generating this stuff. This stuff is working its way into people's lungs, and it's a cofactor in their death and we can attribute roughly 50,000 deaths per year to this thing. It's like, because I am not a perfect computer and I can't see the link, I'm right now having, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm intellectually knowing that like this is the cause of, of so many deaths per mm-hmm. year. But just to like, if you take one step back, it's so obvious why it's easy to miss this or like fail to make the link, which gives unlimited cover to the fossil fuel industry to continue doing what they're doing because it's just hard to 
mentally understand this link. Yeah, it's it's one thing if um you have, you know, carbon monoxide poisoning or something and you can see like, right. okay, I see the direct link between fumes from the car and this death. Right. But it's it's tougher over the long stretch. But it's like this is well documented. Like there's worse health outcomes in communities that are closer to places that burn mass amounts of fossil fuels. Right. It is- and it's it's that same thing about the steroids leading to home runs where it's like you can't say one specific home run was steroids and one specific home run was just natural talent, but the fact that you can take steroids and hit more home runs is a pretty obvious link that steroids juice home runs. The fact that you can put particulate matter in a neighborhood and a lot more deaths happen is a pretty obvious link that the, the particulate matter is leading to more deaths but making the direct connection is just a little too hard to do on a mass scale. And so they're just legal. It's hard to do on a mass scale, but communities have been fighting back against fossil fuel pollution and its health impacts, you know, as long as fossil fuels have been a thing. And just to reiterate, these are these are pollutants from fossil fuels. These are not CO2 emissions that are causing the globe to warm. These are chemicals and particulate matter that have a very specific effect on the local community. And that same study from the University of Wisconsin-Madison states that much of the benefit from removing emissions remains in the region where emissions were removed, indicating local benefits of local action. So if you cap a fracking well, if you remove a coal-fired power plant, the local community, and by local, I mean like maybe the entire city. It's Mm. not like, you know, just the house next door to the power plant. It's like the whole neighborhood, the whole city. They get a lot of those benefits. And so all of this is building to me asking, why do we need to wait for China to lower their emissions before we start taking local action on fossil fuels that will have immediate health impacts on our communities? Uh, Well, because fossil fuels are corporations and those corporations are making money. (laughs) And that money is good for those corporations. Yes. So checkmate. Sorry. (laughs) You you really got me there. We're not changing anything, Nicole. Like, so when I was a little bit more active with 350 Colorado, one of their um, big campaigns they were working on is their... There are several elementary schools that are really close to orphaned fracking wells. There's nice. like so many orphaned fracking wells throughout the United States that just right. the oil companies are not responsible for plugging. And so they're just like leaking methane into the atmosphere. It's really bad. And so you're working. There's a lot of elementary schools next to orphan wells. And you're working to try to get all elementary schools next to orphan wells. Yes. That, the it. goal is to, is to put a fracking well inside a cafetorium <laughs> a chicken in every pot a uh, orphan fracking well in every cafetorium yes exactly um but one of the main pollutants that those emit is benzene and if you go to these certain elementary schools and you like test for benzene it's like way 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 high above what a safe level is there's oh, so man. much benzene in these elementary schools which result in things like asthma, you know, like serious medical conditions for children. So many of the things that we could do to reduce our emissions, like plugging fracking wells that we are not even actively drilling from anymore, is not just something that we're doing for climate change, which we should be doing. But it's also because there are tremendous local benefits. So much of addressing climate change will give us so many benefits that have nothing to do with climate change that we should be doing them anyway. And saying that we can't do it because it won't matter till China reduces their emissions. Even if that were true, we should be plugging fracking wells. Yeah, I wonder what Nikki Haley's take on that would be. Where is it just that's going to cost a lot of money and that money can be better spent 
cutting taxes on the wealthy or like you know wh- where the what's... money should come from hmm. is from the fossil fuel companies that drilled the wells <laughs> let's not get crazy nicole <laughs> they need that money to drill more wells <laughs> uh, leave them unplugged so, yeah that's right well i mean i guess i i guess it's just another version of a system in america that is deeply broken and the only way to fix it is with regulatory policy but it can't get passed because of a polarized environment. Mm-hmm. Like Colorado is full of orphaned wells. We know the solution. It's like fund the absolute shit out of the state and allow them to send 10x the crews out to plug the orphaned wells. Because let's face it, these wells are orphaned because companies drilled the wells and then they got as much methane as they could out of them or oil in some cases or both in a lot of cases. And then they went bankrupt, and then the company was no more, and they're like, well, they clapped their hands and stepped back like a blackjack dealer going off of their shift, and <laughs> nobody stepped in, and the wells are orphaned. Uh-huh. And like, and now your children are inhaling benzene. Yeah, and, and the company that went out of business, they declared bankruptcy. They're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, they should, but they're not going to. And so- of course, that's an externality that now, again, the state has to step in and literally and figuratively plug that hole, and there's just no money for it. Yeah. Because the money for it was earned by the oil company. It turned in a, into in dividends time. Yeah, for the exactly. company. <laughs> yeah. It turned into shareholder profit for rich people. Yeah. And, and in that entire process, in uh-huh. the story of the, how those wells came to be and died and where all the money went, China was not in that story anywhere. I got to is... imagine they were pretty absent <laughs> for most of it. Yeah. And and so to to say that we're not going to take action on climate change because of China is like, well, there's lots of stuff that we could do that has nothing to do with China and never did that you're still not doing. So you can't keep using them as a scapegoat for why you're not doing stuff like that. Yeah. And I want to reiterate, because I think there might be people at home who are like, well, they didn't make the claim that they couldn't help kids and clean air and clean water because of China. In that clip, Nikki Haley explicitly said, we want clean air, we want clean water, yeah. we can't because of China. Yeah, that's we true. Can, we can make huge steps for clean air and clean water in America that have nothing to do with China and how much they are emitting. What do you think the the their take on that would be? It's like, oh, we got to make a bunch of private companies do it? Like, how do you... How do you clean up orphaned well sites without government help? Who I does no it? I have no idea. Because it's not you're not making a product. Mm-hmm. What is the libertarian version of this? The libertarian version is that we all inhale benzene and the strongest survive. <sighs> and the species adapts to thrive on inhaling benzene. And if you survive, you get one free copy of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> Hey there, a little inside baseball. We record this very podcast at the Climate Town office. And if you're not familiar with Climate Town, it's a YouTube series we make for as cheaply as possible. And that means schlepping our camera equipment all over New York City. Yes, our backpacks are full, and the gear we reach for every time is peak design. That voice you just heard is Ben Bolt, the executive producer of this podcast and of Climate Town. That's right, Raleigh. I mean, this is an ad, but we are genuinely loaded with peak design gear, from backpacks to sling bags to camera 
camera accessories. And by we, I usually just mean Ben. Ben literally has like seven things from Peak Design on during any given shoot. Yeah, really. I mean, they make good stuff. Uh, My freaking phone case from Peak Design. My phone charger on my desk. That's Peak Design too. My out front bike mount that I can put my phone on. Guess what? Peak Design. You know that little tripod we use on Climate Town shoots? The little travel tripod? The little travel tripod. They got organizers. They got straps, clips, duffel bags, everyday bags. And they're not f***ing around. Peak Design gear is guaranteed for life, whether you buy it firsthand or tenth hand. And they can make that kind of commitment and not go broke because they build stuff to last. As my father would say, it's built like a brick shithouse. And now I'm hearing it out loud, that term is a little dated. Peak Design is a certified fair trade B Corp that prides itself on recyclable materials and it lobbies lawmakers in D.C. for environmental legislation. They're also the group who nominated Climate Town to be an environmental partner with 1% for the planet. So double thank you. And they also have been a podcast supporter of ours from day one. And also, also, they just make really good stuff. So go to peakdesign.com slash playbook. That's P-E-A-K design.com slash playbook for 20% off some of our favorite products and a picture of Ben on set dripping with Peak Design gear. I'm literally going to try to put as many pieces of Peak Design gear as I possibly can into one picture. I'm glad we just got health insurance because Ben's back is going to be demoed. But not because the Peak Design stuff is heavy. The other shit that we put inside it. Well, in bulk, it's heavy. If you you stack enough Peak Design stuff. Yeah, okay. I'm but not saying it's sweet, heavy gear. They got a it's sweet good shoulder gear. strap. It really takes the weight off your it's shoulder. It's going to crush you to death. If that's how I got to go, sayonara. So just to sum this up, why I think this is important is there are certain measures that we consider climate measures. I'm going to reference one of your famous videos hey. about getting gas stoves out of houses and apartments and stuff. That is a climate measure. Right. Enacting a gas stove ban is a climate measure. Everybody views it as a climate measure. Reduces it, methane, reduces leakage of methane. Yes. Yeah, this is a it's, positive climate yes, effect. Yes, it's, yeah. it has a big effect. It also reduces contaminants in your house. Your kids are going to be less likely to have asthma. It is more healthy for you in your house, aside from climate, not to have a gas stove in there. And so when we view something like a gas stove ban as a climate measure and say, well, it doesn't matter if we get rid of gas stoves because China's putting in new coal-fired power plants, that may arguably in some capacity be true in the grander scheme of things, but your kids are still going to be more likely to get asthma. We are now eliminating all of the benefits that we would get from taking fossil fuels out of our lives from a health perspective, from the perspective of clean air and water in Mm. our local communities and stuff, because of something that's happening in China that we have no control over. Totally. Yeah. Burning fossil fuels does two things. Number one, burning them puts more CO2 and CO2 equivalent into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And number two, burning them puts more particulate matter into the local area. Mm -hmm. And number three, they make your big truck look really cool. That is a very positive effect. So I'm not going to mention that particular part. But um, so by saying we're not going to stop burning fossil fuels, because of number one, right? We put, the emission, we put the CO2 total in the atmosphere. CO2 and China does a lot more. So, like, that's not going to matter that much. We're also not passing policies that remove the second thing from the local area, mm-hmm. which would have huge positive health effects. But we're not doing both of them because of China, when China doesn't have a fucking thing to do with the local area you live in's air. Exactly. And, and, and again, to reiterate, We talked at the top of the episode about how the purpose of these arguments is to make people think that climate legislation doesn't matter Mm -hmm. and to make it not a focus. But stuff like a gas stove ban matters to your immediate life. 
even if you think that it doesn't improve global emissions. Right, right. So if I take my gas stove out of my apartment, it's not going to lower the global CO2 emissions because China is still emitting CO2. All it's going to do is prevent my kid from getting asthma. And how is that a good motivation for changing my lifestyle, Nicole? <laughs> you tell me that. Well, you're going to have to go to fewer doctor's appointments or you have to watch Caillou on the waiting room TV. Uh, 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 I'm having an affair with my doctor. So <laughs> that's perfect. More excuses to see them. <laughs> um, okay, moving on. The doctor was his mom. <laughs> Okay, another point that I want to make is that this argument is always used as a way to keep using fossil fuels, but we never talk about staying competitive with China in any of this. Oh, yeah. It's So in Nikki Haley's quote, sorry to keep ragging on you, Nikki Haley, but that's the problem when you're the most articulate Republican <laughs> candidate is that you get quoted the most. Jeez. She said, and these green subsidies that Biden has put in, all he's done is help China because he doesn't understand all these electric vehicles that he's done, what he does. Half of the batteries for electric vehicles are made in China. And so that's not helping the environment. You're putting money in China's pocket and Biden did that. And it's like, yeah, okay, China is, for various reasons, some good, some bad, kicking our ass in terms of making renewables, in terms of installing renewables, particularly in terms of electric vehicles. But in the past, we would have said, like, we have to do X, Y, Z to stay competitive with China. Mm. And now that just doesn't seem to be part of the equation at all. There was this Politico piece about this where they had this quote that I really liked. They said, the exponents of this argument have focused on the costs of climate policy while ignoring the enormous competitive advantages on offer. So we hear this argument about like, well, Biden's giving all these electric car subsidies. That's just put money in China's pocket. Why isn't the answer we need to get better at making electric cars? Yeah, it's like he's not giving China these subsidies. He's giving manufacturers these subsidies and China is doing the manufacturing. Like, yeah. isn't this the biggest cattle call to American car manufacturers to get these subsidies? Yeah. And just to put a finer point on how much of a competitive disadvantage that America has given itself. China has invested way more into clean energy than we have, into research and development, into production, into installation. There's this article in Scientific American where the headline is, China invests $546 billion in clean energy, far surpassing the U.S. Mm, that's a tough headline far surpassing to read. Yeah. The U.S. is in the headline. And then in the body, it says that it's nearly four times the amount of U.S. investments, which totaled $141 billion. And China, despite the fact that they are the world's factory, has a much smaller economy than we do. Mm. So they are not only investing more total, they are investing proportionally much more and per capita and per capita hey, there you go, per capitalism <laughs> wow got him thank you because um, china's economy is smaller by pretty much every metric uh their gdp per capita is about twelve thousand dollars thirteen thousand dollars and that's six times smaller than the u.s equivalent of seventy six thousand dollars the total gdp of the united states is 25.46 trillion total china gdp is 18.1 trillion that's about 71 percent the size of ours. So it's much smaller. It's not growing as fast as predicted. And yet they've still put a lot more money into renewables, into electric cars, etc. So yeah, of course they're out competing us. 
that is just so wild that American businesses are not capitalizing on this in the way that Chinese businesses are when every, like it, it should be so clear what the writing on the wall is. And part of that is because, again, just like America over the course of its history has been responsible for way more emissions than we are right now. Mm-hmm. Currently, I was trying to look up an exact number, and it's apparently really hard to estimate exactly how much in subsidies fossil fuel corporations get now Mm. estimates are anywhere between 10 and 50 billion dollars which is like a very wide range but it's it's less than i thought but that's also this year you know Mm. over the course of the fossil fuel industry they've received i'm sure the equivalent of trillions of dollars in subsidies uh, in today's money at the very least and and so we have all this investment in research and development to optimize our use of fossil fuels and the amount that we've put into renewables is comparatively very small yeah and and like one one big reason why fossil fuel subsidies are many many times as massive as the number you just quoted is that we do not price in carbon pollution Mm -hmm. like if if for one second like if if you consider not pricing in carbon pollution as a subsidy to the fossil fuel industry which it very much is it's like untold trillions of dollars Mm -hmm. as a subsidy the only reason we don't think about it that often is because we've been so thoroughly indoctrinated by a hundred years of fossil fuel industry dominance that it's just not on our radar. It's not at the top of mind as much as it could be, but it is very much taking money out of the economy. Like 50,000 deaths per year, that's a, a hit to the economy. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. that is a hard to quantify but obviously huge value that we are getting sucked out of the economy every year because people are dying and having to go to the hospital and that kind of thing and that is very linked to the fossil fuel industry Mm -hmm. i would call that a subsidy (laughs) a death subsidy a death subsidy yeah i mean fossil fuels are what we call a mature fuel right we've been using Mm -hmm. them for a long time We've basically driven the cost curve down about as far as it's going to go. We're we're not going to get much more efficiency out of them. And they're only going to get more expensive. For one thing, extracting them is going to be tougher. And also some regulations are coming down the pike that are making some fossil fuels uh, financially non-viable as energy sources. So like the writing is on the wall here for fossil fuels. And renewable energy is so new that it's it's constantly getting cheaper and more efficient to the extent that, like, within the past five years, solar panels have become the least costly form mm-hmm. of electrical generation. Mm-hmm. So the idea that we should subsidize fossil fuels now is very backwards to how subsidies work. You subsidize stuff you want to see more of that you can see a competitive advantage in advancing and you regulate stuff you want to see less of, you know, like the stuff that you burn and releases toxic compounds into the atmosphere and also is slowly cooking the planet that we all live on Mm -hmm. for our life support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems like something we do want less of. Life support? No, we want more life support, but we want less of the Uh, stuff that puts you on life support. I already hit the button that turned our life support off when you said that. I'm sorry. Um, And and so all of this is just to say we're talking about how we're giving money to China, but we're not talking about how we can be competitive. We're just saying, well, we're not even going to participate in this enormous emerging sector of the economy. It would be so obvious if it wasn't as polarized of a political scenario. If if both parties could just get on board together, it would be such an obvious move to say we're going to become the owners of the green energy world. 
Like that would make so much money for the United States of America. And it is truly just because of partisanship that we are leaving money on the table because like for some reason the Republicans have made it their party's goal to not do green energy as long as they can make fossil fuels an issue. And it's just it's like it's just crazy. Yeah. And the most obvious example of this is the Inflation Reduction Act mm-hmm. that the Democrats passed, and a lot of that money is intended to make American companies competitive in green energy. Mm-hmm. It is like a ton of subsidy money that is just for America to compete with China and hopefully become the industry leader, and the Republicans cannot get on board with a thing that will obviously demonstrably help the economy because it's got a capital D next to it. Yeah, it's the they don't want to buy stuff from China, right. and they don't want to work on us being more competitive than China in that field. Right. So and they don't want stuff made in China. It is this massive contradiction that we're mad at China for taking our jobs, but we don't want to be competitive in building those things, so we're not going to get those jobs back. Yeah, we're mad at China for sending our jobs to China on purpose. <laughs> Um, Okay, so I kind of just want to sum everything up um, and discuss like some of the more classic logical fallacies at play here. Love it. Um, So the first one is the false dilemma fallacy. We can either use fossil fuels in exactly the way that we always have. Good old American fossil fuels. Good old American fossil fuels. Or we can use Chinese produced renewable energy and be reliant on China Forever. That's right. And there's no other options. That's right. I am going to take my truck and do a donut in the parking lot, or I'm going to join the Communist Party. And that's that's the only Those two are options the two. that are left to me. You only get two. Uh, only get one, even. Yeah, you really only get one, but you can pick one of two. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so that's the first one. Um, the next one is uh, whataboutism, which is also, I don't know how to pronounce this, but the, the Dukok, Dukok fallacy, Q-U-O-Q-U-E. Oh, I don't know. Do do in French do it would be cate. to cook. De cook. To cook. Do you want to do cook in the bathroom? <laughs> no, I don't. Anyway, the to cook fallacy uh, <sighs> is an invalid attempt to discredit an opponent by answering criticism with criticism, but never actually presenting a counter argument to the original disputed claim. Wow. So that yeah, I got that off the internet. Uh-oh. Um, the internet, but that's also got recipes for bombs, Nicole. <laughs> yeah. Decoked. <laughs> Damn, my ass got too coked. Your ass is do coked. Uh and in this one, um the the whataboutism, the to coke is America should emit less. Well, China emits a bunch. Okay, but that doesn't address the fact that America also emits a bunch. You know what this is? It's Black Lives Matter. Well, all lives matter. It's like, okay, but that doesn't address the original thing. Socialism. (laughs) That's socialism. That's classic Joe Biden socialism. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, sure, uh, China's emitting a lot. I'm not arguing anywhere in this podcast that China is not emitting a lot. They for sure are. But what I'm saying is it does not matter how much China is emitting for us to address our emissions. Yeah. (laughs) You shot me. I shoot a lot of people. (laughs) 
It's like it's like if you go out for a group dinner and you're like, oh, hey, uh, Raleigh, can you Venmo me for what you ordered? And you're like, well, Ben hasn't Venmoed you. And I'm like, yeah, I want both of you to Venmo me. Uh, I'm broke. Ben got two entrees. I didn't even have the appetizers. Yeah, well, Venmo me. You know, your your problem is Ben is not Venmoing you. Okay, why are you, why are you coming down on me, Nicole? <laughs> um. So China has been sort of a a big bad boogeyman for a long time, and I haven't talked specifically about racism in this episode because I think if a country like Russia or somebody had become the factory of the world and had way bigger emissions, right. a lot of these same arguments would have applied. You know, you could have pointed at Russia and been like, their emissions are so high, why should we bother? But there is for sure an element of racism in all of this, yeah. and I don't want to say that there's not. And historically, amidst all of the ways that we've been racist against the Chinese, Chinese. A Let's name thre- them. Let's name them all. <laughs> well, a running thread has been like they're coming for our jobs. And this attitude is still coming up now. Um, certainly as recently as the Trump administration, he used China as a major scapegoat to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. Mm. Um, and he said uh, some offensive things that I'm not going to say, but ended with, they're using our country as a piggy bank to rebuild China. We have to stop our jobs from being stolen from us. Um, and this is just the attitude that it's like they're allowing our jobs to be stolen. And and if he was serious about that, he would have probably secured more mineral rights to lithium and, you know, in the in the DRC. Like if he actually thought this, he would do the colonial American thing of like buying up land in developing countries and he didn't even do that he can't even be a racist colonialist right (laughs) it's wild yeah he needs some racism and colonialism lessons jeez can you imagine up his skills i mean that that was basically just private school in america for a long time (laughs) maybe still is i don't know i didn't go to a private school speaking of racism and colonialism There's um, also the red herring fallacy. We haven't talked a lot about this, again, because what I wanted to focus on in this episode is more like, how are we using this rhetoric to not enact policy in America? Um, But but the red herring fallacy is typically one that you see associated with China's human rights violations, and it's sort of connected to the false dilemma. So what this looks like as a red herring is we need to transition to renewable energy. That's manufactured in China where there are human rights violations. Right. Um, so it's like, again, either we can keep using fossil fuels forever or we can use renewable energy that was made with human rights violations. And there's uh, there's nothing else possible right, in right. that argument. It's like, well, let's manufacture it at home then. With what money? Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. Socialism. <laughs> And there are things that we don't even have to do. Like, we can reduce our dependence on fossil fuels without anything to do with renewable energy. We can build more walkable neighborhoods. We can enact policy that means that people can work from home. There are things that we can do that don't involve China, that don't involve mineral rights in Africa, that we can just do with us, and we are also not doing those things. I'm going to find out that you got a lot of stock in a shoe company or something, (laughs) and you're just trying to promote walkable cities so that you can hawk your shoe product. I'm going to get my own pair of Nikes, my own custom pair of Nikes, which are made with human rights violations. Yeah. That's right. But not the ones you're thinking of. Yes. <laughs> I, now this has this has uh, brought to my attention that I should clarify, like, I don't think we shouldn't take human rights violations in China or in lithium mines and cobalt mines seriously. I think we should. But there's a difference between that being our only option 
and the myriad ways we can address that problem. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's also the, there's like some throw the baby out with the bathwater fallacy mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, we can't do this the perfect way that is exactly the way that I want to do it. Well, then we're not even going to try to do it at all. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's kind of happening here where it's like, oh, renewable energy is not perfect. Ergo, we can't we shouldn't even attempt it. Mm-hmm. And if you applied that same logic to the fossil fuel industry that is killing at least 50,000 people a year in just the particulate matter health in just America in just America. Yeah. Jeez. Um, yeah. It's, it just, it just like the logic ought to cut both ways. And the fact that it doesn't is very telling. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, so ultimately, this is all a delay tactic. I keep going back to this op-ed written by James Kurz because I think he's got some really good turns of phrases. I think he's saying all the stuff that I want to say, but smarter. Um, and he ends it with something that I think is a, a helpful way to move forward. And so he says, the more useful question would be, what can we do to reduce our emissions? And what can our government do to increase pressure on China and other high-emitting countries? Mm. And that, that to me is the correct thing. Because like he says, there's, I don't, I, Nicole, living in my little apartment, don't have any impact on China's foreign policy. Mm. So hearing something like, no matter what I do, China's always going to be emitting more is discouraging. But these are are more concrete things we can think about. How can we reduce our own emissions and how can we influence China's policy? So Raleigh, how can we influence China's policy? Um, well, I'm actually, this is weird to say, but Xi Jinping is my uncle. Whoa, Nepo baby. I know, I know. And he actually does come to me with a lot of his policy decisions. And I just kind of go... I don't know. It's your call. <laughs> so I guess I could like tell him more stuff that I believe. That is one thing that I think that you should do. But okay. for the rest of us whose uncles are not Xi Jinping, um, first of all, we can get our own shit together. You know, is America going to be a leader or is it going to be a follower? Yeah. It's like, isn't that Jordan Peterson's whole deal? Yeah, like, clean make up your, your bed? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, why? So we're like, we're not making our bed because China's bed is so filthy <laughs> dirty. And it's like, why don't we just make our bed, Jordan? Yeah, why should China work with us if we're not aggressively pursuing our own climate policy? Again, we're number two. Yeah. We are number two on global emissions. <laughs> so, so like, there's got to be people in China who were, like, doing their version of this argument, which is it doesn't matter if we as China lower our emissions because the United States is and has emitted so much. Mm. Uh, So we have to get our own emissions in order. Uh, If we want to have any influence on China, we need to be able to say, like, look what we are already doing. Look how much we have done. To claim any kind of moral superiority is an absolute non-starter given our background. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, if we want to have, like, that's, that train has left the station. That fossil fuel has been burnt. (laughs) So if we want to have not the moral high ground, a historical moral high ground, but a progressive current moral high ground, then the only thing we can possibly do is get our own shit together. And that's not happening at the moment. Yeah. So that's the first thing we need to do is like get really aggressive climate policy on the books, make our own changes and give us more leverage to influence China's policy. Right. Certainly that is what I would like to see happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's going to be a knockdown, drag out political fight, but it is certainly not negated by the fact that China is being uh, a bunch of little bad boys. You know, <laughs> totally. Um, but there's other stuff that we can do to work with China 
even before we get our own climate policy in order. Like what, Nicole? Well, Raleigh, I'll let you read it for yourself. This is from uh, Foreign Affairs magazine. This was like the most concrete policy solution that I could find for China and the United States to work together in the short term on climate. One area in particular holds some promise. Washington and Beijing could combine or at least coordinate the financial assistance they provide to poor countries in the fight against climate change. Both the United States and China already offer such assistance on their own. Joining forces would allow them to maximize its impact and lay a more solid foundation for low-carbon economic development, reduced poverty, and enhanced resilience to climate change. Helping rapidly growing but highly indebted developing countries achieve those objectives is in both the United States and China's self-interest, and partnering in pursuit of shared climate goals in third-party countries is inherently less politically fraught than trying to cooperate on a bilateral basis on contentious issues such as technology. (laughs) That's like a real boomer thing to say. Contentious issues like computers. (laughs) Sorry, here we go. Um... A shared U.S.-Chinese climate finance platform, an informal mechanism to coordinate, bundle, and channel public and private resources into green development, would build on the momentum that Kerry's visit created and offer a pragmatic way forward. Yeah, you hear this argument in America a lot. We talked about it a little bit um, in the You Owe Your Life to Fossil Fuels episode. Listen Uh, to that episode, episode one. (laughs) Episode one, baby. Uh, See, listen to episode one and episode two. That's right. But in that episode, we, we talk about this argument of like, there's these developing countries and to increase their standard of living there, we need to get them on fossil fuels. We need to increase their energy supply so that they can live better, safer lives. And it's true, we do need to improve the standard of living in a lot of these countries. And that is where more developed nations can come in and help, particularly two very rich, very powerful nations who have made a lot of investments into clean energy and have the technology to to help these more developing nations out. Mm-hmm. Um, and both the United States and China are helping different nations around the world with that. And so we could work together with China and combine forces to do that in the cleanest, most renewable way possible. And that could be a good way forward because it will prevent future emissions from those developing countries while also not being sort of a fraught, uh, you know, a fraught America, you have to do this. China, you have to do this with your own domestic policy uh, kind of debate. So that is like an immediate way that the two countries can collaborate and move forward on international climate policy. Yeah. It's like we're numbers one and two in carbon dioxide emissions. Mm -hmm. And we could be like a scared straight program. (laughs) You know, like, don't do what I did, kid. You ever walk out your front door and not able to see the house across the street from you because there's too much smog in the atmosphere? (laughs) This could work. It could. It really could work. It's also like that's the point of leapfrog technology, right? We're not like going to Africa and building telephone poles because cell phones exist. Mm-hmm. You know, like America and China together could help share some of the burden, share tech, and get all these countries to like develop in a very low carbon way right off the bat. And they could maybe like share some laughs at the bars afterwards. <laughs> And that's what we really need. That would be really cool to see. I guess that would that would sort of create a little bit of a, a buddy cop comedy drama. That would be kind of nice um, in developing countries. Yeah. And then finally, we're in some ways already working with China on emissions. This is sort of a weird time in Chinese-American diplomatic relations because like Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan, and then there was, like, the Chinese spy balloon incident, so things are a little bit fraught. Whoa, I haven't thought of the Chinese spy balloon in years. When did that happen? Uh, I mean, like, maybe February. I 
felt like that was I honestly in my head the Chinese spy balloon and balloon boy live in the same box <laughs> that's like 2009 all balloon stories occupy the same space in your brain that's exactly understandable right. but but seriously I thought Chinese spy balloon the headline was like 2018 or no, something. no no it was for sure this year we talked about it on the show wow yeah. on on not on my show no, on the daily show. okay yeah that's uh, right I, we didn't talk about it on this show no you can't I'm... say the show when we're on a show and not mean the show we're on <laughs> sorry okay anyway um thanks to things like uh you know the trip to taiwan and the uh chinese spy balloon incident it's a weird time for diplomacy overall but uh both john Kerry. U.S. climate envoy, and California Governor Gavin Newsom and their aides and other U.S. and California officials have made recent trips to China to talk about climate collaboration with Chinese officials. Gavin Newsom's trip in particular, that's, I'm talking about because it it's the more recent one, um, was aimed at bolstering pre-existing technical collaborations on reducing air pollution, transitioning to electric vehicles, building out clean energy, and other initiatives. And he's also at work on new collaborations, the most recent of which is an agreement the administration signed last month with the province of Hainan to work together on phasing out fossil fuel vehicles, improving energy efficiency in buildings, and more. So I'm sure there will be people who debate China's commitment to these agreements. But the bottom line is we are sending people over there to try. Mm. We are already trying to have an impact on China's climate policy. And again, the only way that we have any leverage in that conversation is if we are also working on our climate policy. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's a great bottom line. If your reason for not doing anything is that China is not doing anything and you can't see the problem with that logic, mm -hmm. how it cuts both ways, that China might be like, we're not going to do anything if you don't do anything. That's a recipe for two countries to never do anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> Let's do something, you yes. know? Yes, yes. Okay, so to sum up, how is this particular falsehood being used to delay action on climate in America? So, I mean, the most concrete example is it is literally the reason that Donald Trump gave to pull us out of the Paris Climate Accord. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so it like that is one very notable way that it has impacted climate policy in America. Um, in, in a more abstract sense, um, it is being used to make the average person think that climate policy doesn't matter, so they're not going to ask for it as aggressively. Mm. If they think that regulating our use of fossil fuels or improving fuel efficiency standards in cars or whatever is going to be drops in the bucket compared to China, then that's not going to be something that they push for as hard as other policies. It's a way that we can continue to say there's no point to doing this, so why would we bother, which just isn't true. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and if you repeat it enough times, if you've poisoned the concept hard enough for long enough, it's just it's like socialism in the 50s, where if you even say socialism to a boomer, they're like, got it. Yeah, they want to take your cow and shoot it in the head and shoot you in the head because that's socialism. <laughs> that's obviously not what socialism is. But enough constant anti-socialism propaganda mm -hmm. has convinced a lot of our our elderly that socialism <laughs> is going to totally destroy and America. And now some of our youngerly. Oh, um, how did it happen? I know. I guess I know. YouTube. And then there's also like the side of the argument that's like, you're putting money in China's pocket. The minerals come from you know, horrible places. They're very dirty. Like it's a, there's all of these arguments that are uh, also impacting personal choice about like not installing solar panels, which favors the fossil fuel industry, mm. not uh, getting an electric car, which favors the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. And all that really functions to like take the wind out of the sails of climate action where you need like a strong political and social will from a lot of people 
and to devalue even the concept as a little drop in the bucket is a great way to just like deflate that whole thing. Mm -hmm. And when we need to be building a coalition, it just like prevents it. Yeah. It is functionally the politicians saying like, stop bothering me about climate change. It's someone else's fault. Right, right. Let's talk about the really important stuff. How are we going to ban these books that say gay? <laughs> Okay, Raleigh. Today I want to do a little bit of a different Thanksgiving segment. I, I'm, I'm going to pitch you this. Uh, what if uh, you're with your family, you're at a local soup kitchen. You're like, it's Thanksgiving. We want to give back to the community. We don't do it for the rest of the year, but one day on Thanksgiving. Yeah, sure, why not? Okay, okay. Uh, you do that. I, I'm going to be a Nikki Haley politician. Oh, you're at the soup kitchen? And I'm at the soup kitchen. I'm shaking hands. I'm getting out there. I'm trying to make friends in the community. I'm generally from the South. I can uh, tell, yeah. And, and I have some influence over local, local policy. Okay. Okay? Okay. All right. Great. Hello there, young man. Happy Thanksgiving. Hi. Do, would you like a bowl of soup? Oh, no, uh, uh, thank you. I am full. I am out here. I am so proud of what everybody is doing oh, for you. all of the poor people in my district. Oh, I didn't realize you're uh, like a local politician. I am. I am in charge of unincorporated Jefferson County. Wow. That's a whole county, a county-wide. Only the unincorporated parts. Oh, okay. So you're sort of like uh, you're like the little can that catches grease at the bottom of a grill? Yes. Got it. Well, yes. You know what? Local politics are important. Thank you for your service. Thank you. And I'm here finding out what are the issues that matter to my constituents because there is an election coming up and I want to make sure I'm addressing everybody's concerns. Oh, um, well, I guess my main concern is uh, climate change. So maybe I'd ask you, what are we doing here in our district of unincorporated Jefferson County? that is uh, trying to address the climate crisis. Look, there is nothing that I, as a politician, care about more than clean air and clean water. But nothing that we do here that will reduce our quality of life is going to have any impact as long as China is the one that's emitting so much more. They're polluting way more than we are, and uh. they're trying to get us to have worse lives so that they can keep on polluting, and I am committed to helping the people in my district have better lives, not worse lives. Oh, okay. Well, so what would help me have a better life is knowing that the future of human civilization is safe, and for that to happen, we have to address climate change. I don't really care what they're doing in China at this moment. Like, I don't live there. I live here in unincorporated Jefferson County. And I would like you to uh, start advancing policies that make unincorporated Jefferson County a leader in the climate policy world. Now... I hear you, but what can I possibly... Your hand is in the soup, by the way. Oh, shoot. Yeah. I was wondering. I, I have that thing where the nerve endings in my fingers don't work. I burn myself all the time. It's a problem. What is that called? The nerve endings in your fingers don't work? It's, oh, it's uh, it's called a stranger? <laughs> yes. I, I was sitting on my hand earlier <laughs> okay. so that it would go numb, and then when I'm giving soup to people, it feels like someone else is doing it because I hate the you idea hate of charity. The idea. Okay, got I it. hate the idea of a government handout, and if I'm handing people soup, that's a government handout. Uh, now... <laughs> Sir, <laughs> what you have a government handout and if you're I, handing out soup. If I'm literally handing out soup so and I'm a member of the hand. government, so I sat on my hand, Got so it, it feels like somebody else is doing it who's not a member of the government. Got it. Okay. I don't see how this could be more clear or I make understand. more sense. I just needed to hear it all all laid out. Thank okay. you. Now I, I think I think we're all on the same page here. Now, look, I appreciate that you were concerned about the environment, but what could we possibly do in our tiny little hamlet? that is going to have any impact when China is emitting so much. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, good question. You, you agree that climate change is happening? Climate change is definitely a problem. It's definitely happening. It's definitely caused by humans and specifically mostly by humans in China. Okay. Um, well, okay. Well, how about how about this? Uh, in unincorporated Jefferson County, my parents have a gas range and uh, gas in buildings is a pretty big source of carbon emission equivalent. So what if you passed a policy that made all new buildings have only electric ranges? That limits people's choice, and I just don't see how much getting rid of gas stoves is going to matter with China emitting so much. Wow, I I guess I just didn't realize you were such a radical left-wing politician. Oh, I'm not at all. Please don't say that so loud what that people you, can hear you. Please do don't you, say that so loud. What do you mean? I'm, I'm not a radical left-wing politician, well, everybody. Ob obviously, you're a radical left-wing politician if you don't think America is a leader. I think America is absolutely a leader. Mm. We are a The whole world looks to us for leadership. But you were just saying that you don't want America to lead on climate change because China is doing climate change... I mean, I don't understand how you could possibly be a strong right-wing patriot with that kind of attitude. Well, climate change is doing so much that it won't matter if we do anything. So I don't think we should... I don't, you don't think we should lead is what you're saying? Well, I think we should lead, but I, th I think that uh, we should lead different. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Okay, so uh, let's say you're at a bar. Okay. And uh, you, you, you have a $10 million tab. Okay. And somebody else comes into the bar and they have a $1 million tab. Who is contributing to the debt that is currently at the bar? Uh, well, first of all, I would say that I want this bar in my district because that <laughs> is the liquor taxes that we make are going to pay for a new gun range. And I would say that the the person who is who is ten million dollars in is more responsible, which is why I think China they're ten million dollars in, aren't they? Sure. Well, you know, if, if China is ten million dollars into the carbon emission game than America historically is like 20 plus million dollars into the carbon emissions game. So what I'm saying is over the course of the proud history of that our founding fathers gave to us with their blood on the battlefield and of Gettysburg. Don't you forget it. All the founding fathers were at Gettysburg <laughs> and they fought in it. That's right. I, I yeah, I realized I could just sort of lob in Americanisms and yeah. Yes. Um Pearl Harbor? Yes, I agree with that. Okay, great. Yeah, so we have historically put so much carbon into the atmosphere, and America is responsible, right? You wouldn't say America is irresponsible. America is not irresponsible, but there was no other way for us to industrialize. Exactly. Yeah, and so what, what I'm saying is we need to be a country of our word, and we need to take responsibility and step up to the plate and really hit a home run on tackling these carbon emissions. I just don't see why we are responsible for acting on climate change when China's not over there doing any darn thing about it. You know what's pretty crazy? What? Somewhere right now in China, there is a politician much like yourself telling a Chinese citizen that they don't need to do anything about their carbon emissions because America has put out so much more carbon into the atmosphere than China that anything China does is going to be tiny in comparison to the emissions that America has historically been responsible for. I would say they got to act on climate change. Well, they would say that about us. Wow. I suppose I never really considered that they're people with opinions and feelings. Well, we're not going to agree on everything, but I guess we can agree that America is currently 
number one. America is number one. In carbon emissions. Okay. Net. But we can also be number one. Number one, baby. On climate policy. All right. That's our common ground. The Climate Deniers Playbook is hosted by Raleigh Williams, that's me. And me, Nicole Conlin. Our executive producer is Ben Bolt, and our audio producer is Gregory Haddock. Theme music from the wickedly talented Tony Dominic and artwork by Jordan Dahl. Who, yes, okay, is my boyfriend, but that's not why we hired him. We hired him because he's very good at art. And our researchers are Knut Haraldson, James Krugnail, and Carly Rizzuto. Okay, thank you. We got it. We really got to fix that bell. <laughs>